So Holy Spirit, ask that you would help us to understand a familiar story, how it applies to our lives. Lord, help us to live out of the victory that Easter gives us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Good to have you guys all here. Um, Also, welcome those of you who are watching on the podcast. Uh, Recently, I saw a movie where one of the main characters kept saying this line over and over again. Everything will be all right in the end, and if it's not all right, that means it is not yet the end. I actually thought the movie was kind of, huh? But as soon as the character said that, my first thought was Easter. That's Easter. See, this is the life of a pastor. Everything becomes sermon fodder. But... In a way, that really is what Easter is about. Everything will be all right in the end, and if it is not all right, that just means it is not yet the end. Not that everything in our life is always all right. Of course not. There is such a thing as suffering and pain and hardship, and that's real. It just means those things do not have the last word. Maybe like some of you might feel today at Easter brunch with your relatives. Can't get the last word. And this is where I think Easter is so compelling, even for those of us, like myself, who have heard this story over and over again. I recently heard a man who had just started reading the Bible, and his conclusion was, he said, I think that Jesus is a lot more interesting than religious folks have made him. And I could not agree more. Jesus is way more radical than we think he is. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is way more powerful than we sometimes let him be. And Easter brings both a promise and a radical challenge. The promise is that we can live in way more victory than we often do. Not that we'll always get what we want or that life will always be easy. In fact, following Jesus may make our lives harder. But that even though hard times come, God can use those to mold in us a character out of which comes a supernatural joy that circumstances can't change. And because of that, the challenge of Easter is that we can have bigger lives than we otherwise might. I'll get to that in a minute. First, the promise. The promise is this. When Jesus exploded out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, he brought with him something way more significant and radical than just a religious holiday. He brought a new way of living, life 2.0, where we can be bold and courageous because we know that God's good purposes will prevail in the end, and if they are not prevailing, that means it is not yet the end. In fact, Easter means that even the thing we think of as the end is not the end. Death. Jesus conquered it. Now, I know in this room there are some people who may doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead. I want you to know you are in good company. You know who else doubted it? All the disciples doubted it as well until they saw proof. You know, sometimes we think, oh, back then, of course they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. They're so superstitious, they'll just believe anything. No. Turns out folks coming back to life was as rare then as it is today. There's a man I know who had a friend who was a pastor in a rural area, and this pastor would drive with the undertaker from town to town, and they would drive in the hearse. Well, after one long day, the pastor was tired, so he decided that he would lay down in the back of the hearse to take a nap. Creepy, but convenient, right? Well, when he woke up, he sat up and knocked on the window to show that he was awake. Problem was, they'd pulled into a full-service gas station, and the attendant was there filling the tank. pastor said he never saw anyone run so fast in his whole life. Folks, coming back to life is not normal. That's why, as I do every Easter, I've included in the bulletin two panels of reasons that led me, a former atheist with a PhD, to believe that historical evidence says that Jesus was really raised from the dead. And I'd encourage you to read those, take it home, maybe read some of the books I recommended there, because you, if you doubt Easter, you cannot have intellectual integrity 
unless you examine both sides of the argument. And I believe there's a lot of evidence to show that Jesus was raised from the dead, which is good news because death is our biggest enemy. Although we certainly try to avoid it, don't we? And not think about it at all. That's why we play board games called life. That's why we have life insurance. Except think about it. How do you collect on that? You have to die, right? It's, it's, it's death insurance. That's why we eat cereal called life. Imagine eating a cereal called death. It'd probably be 100% bran. In fact, I'm pretty sure I've had it. I, I, I recently got a card in the mail of what looks like a golf course. This is just amazing. But look at what it says. It says, some golfers wish that they could spend more time on the golf course. How about an eternity? You know what that is? That's a cemetery designed to look like a golf course. Kind of weird, don't you think? And it says on the inside, it's for the game's most committed fans to be placed in a permanent golf setting. Now, I'm sure that that may sound good to some of you, but man, an eternal golf game, that's not heaven. To me, that's hell, right? <laughs> we do everything we can to not think about death, to try to avoid death, but it's coming for all of us. In fact, I read an interview with a woman who was 102 years old, and they asked her, what's the best thing about being 102? She said, no peer pressure. You, you got that way better than the 8 o'clock crowd. and you... It's coming for us, guys. But Jesus has conquered death. And if we know him, we will be raised to new life just like he was. Not as some disembodied spirits floating on clouds, playing harps. That's Bugs Bunny cartoons. No, in a new body just like Jesus had that will never age or die or know pain again. In other words, the God who had the power to create all this surely also has the power to recreate all this, including us, if we know Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You know what he's doing there? He is taunting death. This is the theological equivalent of what I used to say on, a, on the playground as a kid. Nanner, nanner, boo-boo. Stick your head in doo-doo. It's in the Greek. If you look it up, that's exactly what that means. Death in vain forbids him rise. Christ has opened paradise. So if not even the end is the end, well, then nothing else can be the end either. Failure? That doesn't get the last word. Jesus' crucifixion certainly seemed like a failure. I mean, he was supposed to be the military messiah that drove out the occupying Roman army, not get crucified by them. After his death, two of his followers say this, but we had hoped he would redeem Israel. So much pain in those words, but we had hoped. We had hoped to have children, but then the doctor said. We had hoped for all of these dreams, but then I got laid off. I had hoped, but then this addiction got me. But see, they had hoped that Jesus would redeem them from suffering, but instead Jesus redeems us through suffering. See, unlike in other religions where suffering is either an illusion, though funny how it seems very real when you're in it, right? Or it's a payment for something bad that we've done, either in this life or in some previous life, which I find profoundly depressing. Right? Like, I got enough baggage from this life, let alone baggage from some other life. And unlike in other religions where God stays up there in heaven safe from suffering, in Jesus, God himself suffers but transforms it into hope. It is the ultimate judo move where God takes the force of the enemy, all the suffering and the pain that the devil threw at him and turned it back against him by using the cross to pay the price for our sins and rise three days later. With Jesus, failure never gets the last word. True story about a young VP at IBM who made some business decisions that ended up losing the company $10 million. 
So he got called into the CEO's office. He knew what that meant after losing 10 mil. So he came in and handed the CEO his letter of resignation, saying, I'm sure this is what you want. CEO looked at it and said, are you kidding me? I just invested $10 million in your education. You're going nowhere. <laughs> it is that way with Jesus. Failure is not the end. There is always a future. It doesn't have the last word. Neither does shame. You know, a lot of us feel shame over things we've done or haven't done to hurt other people, hurt ourselves. There's shame in that. I hardly know anyone that doesn't feel shame. And deep inside, there is something in us that says, you know what, that's got to be, be punished. A price has to be paid for that or else there's just no fairness. So it is. Jesus pays it on the cross so we don't have to. Interesting, when the Romans crucified someone, they would erase that person's name from all public records as though that person never existed. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He erased our sin as though it never existed and gives us the power to live new lives. Several years ago, a man I know a little, didn't know him real well, just knew him a little bit, he stopped me one Sunday to say that he was moving out of town. And he, but he was concerned because years previously, he had come and told me about some mistakes he had made in his past, kind of a confession thing, and he hoped that that wasn't the only way that I would remember him for those mistakes. Now, I'd never do that. I'd never look at someone as just their mistakes. We're all, you know, complex people. But in this case, it was especially true because for the life of me, I couldn't remember what he had told me. Which kind of, I mean, normally I do. Like if someone shares something personal, normally I remember it, but it had been so many years, I just couldn't remember it. So I said, oh, don't worry about it. Consider it forgotten. <laughs> now, I lamely forgot, but God actually chooses to forget our sin. The Bible said, in the Bible, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. See, God is not looking at you going, what a mess. Other people may be doing that. You may be doing that to yourself, but God is not doing that to you. See, many of us have heard the bad news. Preachers tell us the bad news, that is, we're sinners. Some of us have even heard preachers tell us the better news, which is we're forgiven. But we don't often hear the best news. And that is, if we know Jesus, God does not look at us as sinners, but as his adopted sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King. That's how God sees you. For so many reasons, the promise of Easter is we can live in way more victory than we normally do. Which brings me to the challenge of Easter, and that's this, that our lives can be bigger than we think they can by being part of God's mission to make all things new. That's the challenge of Easter. Let me stop on this a minute. This is important. Jesus did not come to start a religion. There's enough of those in the world. The Bible says that God's mission is to make all things new, and as part of that, he came himself in the person of Jesus. Now, that's not going to be finished until Jesus returns, but his resurrection is the first example that God has begun to make all things new. That's why it happens on the first day of the week, because that points back to Genesis, where on the first day of the week, God starts creating. Here, in the Gospels, on this new first day of the week, God starts to recreate. That's his plan. That's his mission from Genesis on. Make all things new. And how is the way that he wants to do that? How's he going to do that? Well, there's a couple of ways, but the primary way is you. Let that just sit for a minute. You're, that's a big vision. You, me, we are the ways that he wants to make all things new. And that's the challenge of Easter. You see, if Jesus' resurrection is just a metaphor or a nice story, no challenge. We can come, have a nice service, go home, eat ham and potato salad. It's awesome. Right? I, I, mean, I hope you do that anyway. Right? But there's no challenge in that. But if it's real, Easter challenges us. For one thing, it challenges our enlightenment paradigm that says that this world is all there is. Really? That's getting shaky these days as physics starts to explore the possibilities of interlocking universes and multiple dimensions. Maybe heaven is one of those other dimensions. 
But more than that, Easter calls us to respond to Jesus' invitation to participate with him in the making new of all things, knowing that his purposes will prevail in the end. And that, yes, that may make our lives harder, but bigger. A friend of mine is a therapist, and several years ago, he was feeling a little bored and just kind of wondering, is this all there is to life? Just some kind of frustration. And one day in his church, they were asking for people to go to Haiti to help out there with, after the earthquake that they had. And my friend thought, well, what can a therapist do? But he kept feeling nudged, so ended up, and he, and he went. Well, several days into the trip, they were at a medical clinic when all of a sudden, this 10-year-old boy named Stephen came crawling out on his hands and knees, screaming hysterically. And my friend said he felt completely powerless to help. He didn't know the language, didn't know what to do. They couldn't find the boy's mother, and the kid is just screaming hysterically. So my friend did the only thing he could do. He picked him up and just held him, actually for the better part of an hour, and just, just held him there. Because as a therapist, one of the things he knew was that after something like an earthquake, kids often do not feel physically safe. And Stephen had spent 20 hours under rubble. And there had just been an aftershock, and that triggered all of those fears. And my friend, by just holding him, allowed Stephen to start to feel physically safe. And then later got Stephen to be able to talk about it, which began the healing process. My friend said it was one of the most draining experiences in his life, but also this huge privilege. See, he thought he was powerless, but Jesus equipped him to help heal this little boy, and he literally became the arms of Jesus, making this little boy feel safe. And like that earthquake did not have the last word. And for my friend, as he was describing this to me several years ago, his life got bigger and more adventurous. He does not look bored in that picture. To me, he looks like a man whose life has just gotten bigger because he's part of Jesus making all things new. Easter challenges us to fearlessly be part of God's rescue mission, knowing that God's purposes will prevail in the end, which means we have nothing to fear. A woman in our church tells a story about waking up one night when she was 14 to screaming downstairs, and she quickly discovered it was actually good news. Uh, her, her older brother, who I'll call Jim, had been estranged from the family for four years. He had great parents, but got into drugs and completely cut off the family. He, once in a while, he would call them, but rarely, and they never knew where he was. In fact, for a season, he was living in a doghouse in the back of someone's yard. Total prodigal son story. For four years, they prayed. He'd come home. Four years of worrying and wondering. Four years. And then one Christmas Eve, Jim had a dream where he saw nothing but darkness. And out of the darkness, there was a voice that said, Jim, devil's got you right where he wants you. And that just kind of stuck with him. Well, a week later, it was New Year's Eve, and Jim was out partying, but shortly after midnight, decided he'd have enough, so he left, driving drunk, ended up driving past a church. Didn't know what church, just some random church. Lights were on. They were having a worship service for young adults. Something made Jim park and go in, and when he went in, he ended up recognizing someone he knew from his childhood. What are the chances? Some random church. So this guy took Jim to Denny's and talked about his life and Jesus and second chances. And after a couple hours, Jim rededicated his life to Jesus and then called his parents from a phone booth in Denny's, which is when the parents started screaming. It was around 3 a.m. Jim came home. He was reconciled to his parents. They refinished their garage so he could live there because he wanted to be close but also have some of his own space. Jim got a, a mentor from the church and, and, and got off drugs, and he has been sober ever since. And the family has been reconciled ever since. Now, I am sure during those four long years, there must have been times when it seemed like broken relationship and addiction were getting the last word. 
Things were not all right, but that was not yet the end. God had the last word. So what is it in your life that seems to be getting the last word? Is it an addiction? Broken marriage? I've seen God heal a lot of marriages. In fact, in, we, next week, we have a marriage course that starts, that helps good marriages get better and broken marriages heal. Maybe for you it's a sense of restlessness, wondering is this all there is in life? If you know Jesus, ask him to make those things new and make yourself new by being part of God making our world new. And if you don't know Jesus, will you at least, will you at least learn more about him? And man, if we can help here, contact one of our pastors or talk to someone here after the service, we would love to help. I'll close with this. Last year, I was in Cambodia with some folks from our church here, and one of the things we did was help out at a leadership training conference for young adults. And many of these young adults had come from poverty and abuse and pain, just all kinds of things. And the first night of the conference, all we did was play all these different games for hours, game, weird games, things like push a ping pong ball across the floor with your nose and other things designed to make you look foolish. Next day, same thing, 90 minutes of games, every session, right? Now, the Cambodians loved it. They were just having the time of their lives. But we Americans were like, man, you know, come on, man. This is a conference. Where are the lectures? Where's the breakout sessions? Where's my little name tag? <laughs> Plus, I certainly do not need a game to make me look foolish. I can do that all on my own. Thank you very much. And by the end, we just kept going, all these games. By the end, I'm just like, please, Jesus, make it stop. Make just... Make it go away, it's bad, make it stop, right? But then I realized something. In playing those games so joyfully, they were not only building relationship, but deeper still, they were living out Easter. See, joy is the cosmic yet of God that says things may not be all right yet, that is not the end. And in those games, they were defiantly taunting the devil. They were saying, I may be poor, yet I will celebrate because poverty does not have the last word. I may have come from abuse and pain, yet I will celebrate because those things do not have the last word. I may be in a country whose history is genocide, yet I will celebrate. I may be ill. I may be laid off. My marriage may be on the rocks. I may feel restless, yet I will celebrate because the last word always belongs to Jesus, always has, and it always will. In the Bible, a man named Moses leads a group of slaves out of Egypt. They get trapped at the Red Sea with Pharaoh's army hard behind them. But Pharaoh doesn't get the last word. God did. And he parted the sea and they walked through on dry ground. Boy named David up against a giant named Goliath. But Goliath did not get the last word. God did. And David killed Goliath with just one rock. Three men with funny names thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to worship the king as God. But the fire didn't have the last word. God did, and they emerged unsinged. The doctor says you have cancer. The finances look bleak. You're fighting with your kids. You're out of work. You're lonely. Those things are real, and those things are hard, and those things exist, but they will not have the last word in your life. I have read the last word of the last sentence of the last book of the Bible. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins. So when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future because Jesus is risen not as a story, not as a metaphor, not as a nice idea. He is risen indeed, and he is alpha, omega, beginning and end, and everything in between, including you, belongs to him. It will be all right in the end, and if it is not all right with Jesus, that just means it is not yet the end. Jesus, thank you so much for that promise. Help us to live out of the truth of it and be part of, be made new ourselves and be part of the ways that you make all things new. Lord, and we'll point you to you as the author and giver of every good thing. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.